0: My first real job, all right, my my first real job was as an after school worker in a local daycare. I worked for three hours after school every day of the week. I took nine and ten year olds to the local park. We played kickball, soccer, tag, unless it was raining. And then we did those same games in the basement of that 70 year old building, right? Uh, Beyond being the person who had sort of enough energy to wear out the kids who had a lot of energy, I was also responsible, along with the other high schooler, Carla, who worked with me, we were responsible for the cleanup. The cleanup at the end of the day, which cleaned all of the center and all that had been happening in the center and to prepare it for the day to come. Now, as a high school junior, I have come across a myriad of smells in afternoon locker rooms, but nothing, nothing could prepare me for the tsunami of stink that comes out of a diaper can. We're in a diaper can that had been taking deposits all day from not yet potty-trained tots, right? Like they had been giving it like gifts to Carla and I so that at the end of the day, our, our gag reflexes, which quite honestly was real and on point at this place, right? Like that was just a part of what it was. And I told my parents, like, th- if, this, if this is the nature of work, I'm never going to make it in the American workforce, right? Like that's, it's never going to happen. My parents said to me, Brian, like, this is, this is good for you. Now at the time, I didn't believe them at all. Now I've come to realize it probably was actually a very good first job. I went on to serve in food service, I did some lifeguarding, and my favorite, roller skating rink DJ. (laughs) Yep, that's right. Nobody could skate backwards to the YMCA better than this guy right here. Like I killed it, man. When you have skills, you need to put those skills out there. You see, Labor Day, Labor Day, friends, this, this holiday that we celebrate over the weekend, it celebrates work. It celebrates the fruit of people's labor. Now, it was, it was first celebrated. Does anyone know where it was first celebrated? All right, New York City, 1882, the Central Labor Union of New York. They organized a parade of thousands of union members from all trades, and it culminated in a picnic for those members and their families. And then in 1894, President Cleveland signs it into law as a federal holiday. And so to this day, we continue to celebrate a holiday that celebrates labor and its fruit. Work, church, get this, work is a good thing. In fact, work is a holy thing. Though if I were going to compare it to all the conversations I've had, people, people rarely describe work as good. Work, pastor, isn't good, they say. Work is, you know, it's work, right? Like it's, it's actually work. And for lots of people, work is certainly not a holy thing. And so the celebration of work, Labor Day, it is a, it is a civil holiday, no doubt. But, but we should ask the question… How are we, as followers of Jesus, how, how should we, as those who are growing in Christlikeness, how, how should we, as those who are orienting our lives around the words and the ways of Jesus, how are we supposed to approach work? Like, what is the nature of work? Is it good? And more importantly, is it actually holy? Now, to get at this question, we're going to start at the beginning, the very beginning. So, you're going to want a Bible, either the one you brought or the one that's provided there for you. And we are going to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, uh, verse 26. Now, as you're getting there, a reminder that we are popping into the end of the whole creation narrative, right? God, Yahweh, has already spoken and he's already brought into existence the cosmos, the land and the sea, the fish and the animals. And then here we are at verse 26. We jump into his creation of humanity. So here we go. Verse 26, Genesis chapter 1, uh, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all of the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now there, there is, uh, there's a lot here in one verse, but for the sake of time and emphasis, we're going to focus on two things. So if you're a note taker, if you're a note taker, if like you're keeping notes, these are the things I want you to hang on to. Number one, God makes humanity, right, male and female, to be his image, the Hebrew word here, literally icon, to be the, the physical representation of God on earth. Right? There is something unique about humans, about male and female, right? They are the physical representation of God on earth. They are the image of God on earth. And so there's something unique about humans who are embodied beings, right? That we are God's image. But this is number two. As God's image on earth, right, male and female, we are to, and here's the word, rule. Right, to rule over the fish, the birds, the livestock, wild animals, and over creatures. Now, if you, if you go into Genesis chapter 2, which is like the expanded version of day number 6 of Genesis 1, God will also say to humanity, he says, listen, I want you to, listen, work the garden and take care of it. So, what are we grabbing? It's this. Let me recap. God created humans both male and female, to be his image in the world, to be the, the physical representation of God in the world. And as that representation, as that image, we are to rule and work in and over the creation. In other words, like here it is, God created us to work before the fall into sin. Uh, what that means is work is a part of the perfected creation. Work is by design a good and a holy thing. Now the reason, the reason that work is a pain in your uh, foot, right? The reason that it's a pain is because of the fall into sin. It is a result of disobedient and doubtful children. And so God says in Genesis chapter 3 to Adam and Eve, He says this, He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Listen, through painful toil, you will eat your food all the days of your life. It will produce, the ground will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Here it is, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. In other words, after the fall, work is going to be hard until you die. Like, that, that's awesome, right? Like, what a gift from Adam and Eve to you and to me. Thanks, right? That, that's the gift of the fall, right? Work is designed to be good and holy, but because of the fall, it is a pain. It is actually work. Now, I know, I, I know, Uh, that some of you are like, okay, but what are we supposed to do with that? So so here it is. Even though work is hard, and it will be hard until we die, it doesn't change the fact that God created it to be good. Even though it's hard, and it will be hard until we die, it doesn't change the fact that He created it to be good and holy. And so whether male or female or non-binary, if you are a human, you are designed to work. And that work is good, and it is holy. Now, I know that in this room, there are some really, really smart people, and you're like, Pastor, listen, if Genesis chapter 1 is true, isn't the good and holy work described in Genesis chapter 1 to be a farmer and a zookeeper? I mean, that's basically what it says. I mean, that's what Adam and Eve did. They farmed the garden, and they ruled over the creation. That, friends, for you smart people, is a really fair question, but things have radically changed since the garden. And so we should ask, what is the good and holy work today? Right? What is that good and holy work? Is it is it actually having a garden out back and some pets? Like is is that the good work or or is it something something more? To get to the bottom of that question, we have to jump now to Luke chapter 19. So take that same Bible, you're going to go to Luke 19 uh, which we heard Pastor Adam read just moments ago. Uh, Luke nineteen. And we're starting really at verse eleven. Luke nineteen, verse eleven. Luke nineteen, verse eleven. Again, as you're as you're getting there, the context of this parable is Jesus in a house talking to a crowd of people who are the least likely people to be considered holy, and the work of these people certainly not perceived to be good at all. And he tells the parable because, Luke says here, right, in verse ultimately 11, he says, because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So, he's telling the parable because the people around him believe that God is ushering in an earthly kingdom where the Messiah will ascend the throne of David, where the Messiah will kick out the Romans, and where the Messiah will make Israel great again. But Jesus, Jesus isn't ushering in an earthly kingdom. And while it is, he is going to ascend the throne of David, it won't be in the temple at Jerusalem. He will ascend the throne of David on a hill called Golgotha and in a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. You see, it's in, it's in the work of death and resurrection where Jesus defeats the true enemy of sin and death and the devil. And then, then he will ascend into the heavens where he is crowned king, and he will rule as king until one day we know that he will come back to earth as king. Now, Luke points out here in this beginning to the parable that that coming kingdom isn't happening anytime soon. And so, Jesus, in order to sort of help people understand, tells the parable. So, let's get into the parable. He says, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed as king and then return. Okay. You, you hear it, right? Like you, you hear what Jesus is saying? A nobleman went into a distant country. He was going to be crowned king. He's coming back. Like he, he's literally saying, like, Jesus, I'm going to a, a distant country. We're going to call that heaven where I'm going to be crowned as king. And someday I'm going to come back. Right? You hear the code? Okay, here we go, let's keep going. So he calls, this is the parable, this nobleman calls 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. He says, put this money to work until I come back. Now, let let me say this another way, right? The man of noble birth in the parable put into the hands of his servants gifts. The nobleman is giving a gift out of his own free will to be used specifically to be worked in his absence. And so the nobleman gives gifts to the servants and expects those servants to work those gifts faithfully until he comes back. Now the reason that Jesus is using minas or that he's using money here to tell the parable is because of the context. He's talking to a room of tax collectors. He's talking to Zacchaeus and his friends, whose work is what? Money. And so he's talking about money. Now, I suspect, friends, I suspect that if Jesus were talking to firefighters, he'd be saying, like, hey, the noblemen put hoses in the hands of the servants and said, work those hoses with water until I come back. Right. If it were business people in the room, he'd be putting computers and calculators in their hands and saying, listen, friends, work this until I come back. If he was talking to a group of artists, he'd be putting paintbrushes or pencils in their hands saying, work this until I return. If, you're, if he's talking to students, he would put schoolwork in their hands and say, work this until I return. If he's talking to fathers or mothers or caregivers, he'd be putting children into their hands and saying work this until I return. You see, our good and gracious creator, he created us with a wide range of gifts and personalities, and he's placed those gifts and personalities in our metaphorical hands, and he is saying, work them, right? Work out those gifts, work them until I return. And it's not about being a farmer and a zookeeper, unless you are actually a farmer and a zookeeper. Do that, right? Those are the gifts, right? If you're that, definitely that, but it's not not all that, right? It's about using the gifts that God has given us, putting them to work for the care and the flourishing of the creation and the care and the flourishing of humanity. Using those gifts is a good and it is a holy work. Now, Jesus goes on in the parable. He says, well, that nobleman was made king and he returns home, and then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. In other words, the nobleman's going to ask, like, how did you work out those gifts that were in your hands? And as Jesus goes on to tell the parable, the servants, they report different returns on those gifts, right? And the nobleman, interestingly, the nobleman in the story isn't bothered by a return of five minas versus ten minas. Now, this, friends, this should be great comfort to us. But he's not. The nobleman doesn't care if it was five or ten. He doesn't care what the return is. He's not looking at the ROI. Like he, he just is saying, like, did you do something? And this, this should be great news to us. Because far too many of us, myself included, right? I'm not exempt from this. We compare our gifts with other people's gifts. And then we look to see what the return is on their gifts. And when we look at other people's gifts and the return on those gifts, we tend to diminish the goodness and the beauty of our own. I've heard this from people who are working in their home with kids, like, I'm just a mom. What can I do for the kingdom? Just just caregiving for my elderly parents, just because we're looking at other people's gifts and the return on them the gifts are in our hands for the season, we we diminish the goodness and the beauty of them. Sometimes we even tell ourselves that because I can't have the, the same gifts or the same size of return on those gifts as my colleague or as my neighbor or as my friend that I shouldn't use those gifts at all. But Jesus in this parable, He makes clear, right, the nobleman isn't concerned with the amount of return. His only concern is inactivity, that you do nothing with your gifts, that you neglect them. Verse 20 says, then another servant came and said, sir, here is my mina. I've kept it and laid it away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. And his master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you? that I was a hard man taking out what I didn't put in and reaping what I didn't sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposits so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? And then He said to those standing by, take His mina away from Him and give it to the one who has ten minas." See, friends, when, when we complain about our work or when we neglect our gifts, when we choose to sit on our hands, God has something to say about it. Why? because work is designed to be good and holy, designed to be a gift to the creation and our neighbors. So, that work by design, whatever it is, is designed to care for and increase the flourishing of all creation. And so, whether the return is small or big, And maybe as a mom or as a florist or as a dentist or as a veterinarian, as a photographer, as a musician, as an educator, as an accountant, as a marketer, as an office manager, whatever the work is, that work done in faithfulness to God is a good and holy thing. And friends, we offer this work, our work, the way that Jesus offered His See, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, from that text that we heard Deanne read, it says, "'Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others.'" You see that work and the gifts which are in our hands. (laughs) We give back for the interest of others. Paul goes on to say, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude or the mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." See, Paul wants us to remember that even even in those moments when we fail to offer our gifts to the service of the creation and our neighbors, Jesus works out His work perfectly by becoming obedient to the work that was in His hands, by becoming obedient, right, to the work that was in His hands. And so we offer our work, not out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, we, we offer our work to serve, to serve others and to be obedient to Christ. And this, friends, this is only possible by God's grace. You know, Paul would say, it is God, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good pleasure. And so, as we, this weekend, reflect on work, as those who follow Jesus, who are growing in Christ's likeness, who are orienting their lives around the words and the ways of Jesus, see, God in us makes our work good and holy. Now, I don't know if as a high school junior, when opening the diaper can if I could have said like, oh, Lord, what a holy and good work this is. And yet, when God is in us, the work is good and it is holy, and so we offer it even if it is (laughs) diaper cans or even if it is DJing at the roller rink. We offer those gifts and that work to the service of creation to the well-being of our neighbors. We do so, Paul says in Philippians, without grumbling or arguing, so that we may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and a crooked generation. And then, Paul says, you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Friends, this weekend is a celebration of labor and its fruit. And for us, it is a celebration of God's work in us and through us, so that no matter what that work is, we offer it in service of the creation and of our neighbor. So, as Paul says, we might shine like the stars in the sky as we hold on to that word of life. So now, may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen? Hey, but-